Hey, what's up, folks? This is Tony Brewer. You're listening to Cogitations. Cogitations is the podcast where we think about things, we contemplate them, we turn them over in our minds, and then we discuss them. Daniel chapter 7, verse 28, Daniel writes, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me. My countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. We're not going to keep the matter in our heart. We want to talk about it. And today we're going to talk about, well, I preached this sermon yesterday, so we're going to go over it. I converted this sermon outline into an article on Substack. I guess I should share the article in the, in the comment section. Maybe I will do that, but, um, I hope you enjoy the podcast for today. I really, really love this account of the woman taken in adultery from the book of John chapter eight. In fact, I'm going to, as we're talking, I'm going to turn there because I want to read. It's just John chapter eight, three through 11. And, uh, where's it at? Bear with me. Yeah, right here. Okay. Let me put my marker in there. It's so awesome that I can use my little new Testament with Psalms and I can read because I've got plenty of light and all that good stuff. And the reason that is the case is because of this really, really good, very inexpensive face camera. What's it called? Face cam by Elgato. I think they're around 120, 130 bucks us. I sold a microphone, uh, that I didn't need anymore. And I say I didn't need, I didn't, I don't need any of the ones I've got, you know, but anyway, um, I sold one that I was no longer using and I was able to purchase this camera. So the cool thing about it is now the Mevo camera can be used elsewhere where it needs to be. And that's all I've got. And I want to talk about now we have, um, a sponsor and I don't have that ready. Ain't that terrible? Uh, bear with me. We have, uh, Lindsay Faye Dotson at gmail.com. Lindsay is, she does a really, really good work. And I have really messed this up. I promise you when you contact Lindsay Faye Dotson at gmail.com, she will do a better job on your flyer or your, uh, advertisement for your group, for your event. She will do much better for you on that than I do reading her ad. Um, are you part of a church organization or congregation seeking effective ways to spread the word about your event? Look no further. Lindsay Dotson specializes in designing modern advertisements for churches, whether it's flyers, postcards, or social media graphics. Lindsay has got you covered. Reach out through a private message on Facebook or send an email to lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com for more details. Don't miss this opportunity to make your message resonate far and wide. Contact lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com today. And her information is on the bottom third there. I'll leave it up for a moment. And uh, yeah, I hope everybody's doing well. As you're rolling in, be sure and be the algorithm for us. Like, subscribe, share, all of that good stuff. And I'm going to leave this up on the bottom third for today. I have started for Christianity Now a public Facebook group. This is going to be wholly different than the Christianity Now or the uh, We Talk Truth Facebook group. 
the We Talk Truth Facebook group's a private Facebook group. It's heavily, heavily, heavily moderated. It's it's not it's not active anymore. I use it to share some stuff in, but I want to I want to stop using the We Talk Truth group and and make the Christianity Now public group the place to go. So I'd love for you to add your friends. Uh, we're going to be making posts. As we're we're going to share we're going to share the links and stuff to what we do as far as uh, Substack articles and videos and whatnot. So hopefully you'll enjoy it. Hopefully you'll find that it's worth being a part of. And we are going to moderate it. We're not going to let it just be the Wild Wild West, but it's not going to be quite as heavily moderated and curated as the We Talk Truth group was. So go to Christianity Now and or go to Facebook, type in Christianity Now, and you'll find the group there. Um, now let's get into the podcast today. Incidentally, Terry Crooks and Connie Barden, it's really good to see you this morning. And, uh, yeah, let's just start with it. Are you without sin? Well, before we get into the podcast, I want to read the account, John eight, three through 11. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought into him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, and with his finger wrote on the ground, as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted himself, he lifted up himself, and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? And no, has no man condemned thee? And she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee go and sin no more you know there's a lot of stuff that can be taken from that and there's a lot of misconceptions about it quite frankly i have heard people cite uh john 8 3 through 11 as how we should treat people who are caught in sin that we shouldn't practice church discipline that we shouldn't have a standard that we should let them do anything they want to do regardless of their attitude regardless of the standard of God's morality, regardless of any edicts about leaven, leavening the whole lump, regardless of any commandments about church discipline, just let people do what they want to do because Jesus didn't condemn this woman taken in adultery. Well, folks, I don't buy that. I think you're reading a little bit too much in the text if you go that route. And the reason being is this woman was set up. Now, I do believe she's guilty of the sin of which she was accused. But I think there's a lot more going on here than meets the eye. First off, I think the reason Jesus, just from a, just from a, a standpoint of justice, I believe the reason Jesus told her to go and sin no more, that he did not condemn her, is because he did not witness the sin. 
And he also knew, and I don't think he had to be God in the flesh to know this. He knew that this woman was set up that also, and now this is, this is in the realm of conjecture. So don't, don't leave the podcast here and say, Tony is teaching X, Y, Z. I am not teaching this. I'm not binding this. This is absolute conjecture. Where is the man? I rather think that the man with whom she was committing adultery was probably one of the scribes and the Pharisees that brought her before Jesus. I could be wrong. That's just my gut. So again, from a purely thinking of this purely from a justice standpoint, I don't think you have to be God in the flesh to know that there's something screwy in Denmark about this. And it would be the height of injustice to condemn this woman to be stoned or otherwise, or otherwise punished. So when the scribes and the Pharisees brought in him a woman taken in adultery, folks, there was a little boy who had fallen asleep in a Bible class and his teacher was going to put him on the spot and teach him a lesson. So she addressed him to wake him up and said, what did Jesus write in the dirt in John chapter eight? And his answer was a little bit humorous. His answer was, Hmm, I used to know, but I forgot. Well, the scribes and the Pharisees were always trying to catch Jesus in some fault, like this Bible class teacher was trying to catch this little boy, but hers was innocent. Theirs was nefarious. So in this podcast, going through the sermon outline, we're going to learn some things today about how to deal with people that's overtaken in a fault, but we're going to learn from the negative and the positive. We're going to learn what not to do by looking at the actions and the questions of the scribes and the Pharisees, and we're going to learn what to do by looking at how Jesus responded to it. Incidentally, hello, everybody. It's good to see you. Um, remember, if you are uh, commenting from a certain place, I don't know where, it just it just tells me what platform you're on. It doesn't tell me your name. You do not have to reveal your name for me to um you don't have to reveal your name for me to acknowledge your comment. I'm so glad you're here and I don't have to have your name. You can remain uh, somewhat anonymous. Um, but anyway, so let's get into this. There's going to be four points. We're going to look at a double standard, the, a fool's folly and the confidence of a man handling a situation the way it's supposed to be handled. And how about repeating something that works? I don't really know a good way. I don't know a good way to articulate these points, but anyway, the first point in our discussion, how about a double standard notice in verse four of John eight, hello, Sue Ross. It's good to see you folks. They took this woman, according to the book of John chapter eight, verse four in the very act of adultery. Now, listen. I'm not going to go into too much detail about this folks, but, um, you realize it takes two to commit this sin, right? Where is the man? Where's he at? The man's absence here reveals early on in this scenario that the scribes and the Pharisees intentions are not pure. The fact that they didn't bring the man tells me that their intentions are not pure 
that they are being nefarious in nature. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. Immediately from the offset, they have made a mockery of the nature of God, of God's justice. The sovereignty of the law erodes, it breaks down when the law is not applied to everyone equally. Folks, where's the man? As I've said before, I don't bind this on anybody. This is purely in the realm of conjecture. I believe that the man was probably in the crowd that of, of scribes and Pharisees that brought this woman to Jesus. I think this was a, I think this was a, a conspiracy. So whenever we deal with somebody that's overtaken in a fault, we have to not play favorites. We have to make sure that our righteous indignation and we should be righteously indignant at sin. We have to make sure our righteous, our, our righteous indignation is spread equally amongst all parties involved. In other words, we cannot be a respecter of persons. God is not. We cannot be. All right. How about a fool's folly trying to tell our Lord about the law of Moses? Can you imagine John chapter 8, verse 5? I'll read the verse here. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? Why, these great fools, little do they know that this man to whom they speak is the carpenter that built the very world in which they live. Notice John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and not anything that was made was made without the word. And then you go forward to verse 14 and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. Folks, it is my studied conviction that on Mount Sinai, when the law of Moses was given, the second member of the Godhead was the entity of deity that interacted with Moses. The hinder parts of God that Moses saw was the hinder parts of the second person of the Godhead that would eventually come to be known as Jesus, the anointed, the Messiah. So, of course he knew the law of Moses. Jesus didn't need these foolish scribes and Pharisees to tell him about the law. These fools thought they had our Lord in a situation hung on the horns of a dilemma by asking such an insidious question. The old law says she must be stoned. The law of the Romans said that the Jews did not have authority to do so. If Jesus says the old law needs to be followed right now, then Rome's authority is undermined and thusly Jesus is thrust into the realm of treasonous action and he's worthy of death if he says do not punish her and just let this go it doesn't matter then he loses credibility in the sight of the people for the people thought he was a prophet 
And if he flouts the law of God, then he cannot be a true prophet of God. So they think they've got him. But of course, again, what a fool's folly because he knows the law of Moses better than they ever will. So then he can be a man confident in his handling of this situation, which brings us to our next point. How about a confident man handling this situation? Look at verse six. So when they, excuse me, so they, this they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. This is an excellent strategy. This is an excellent response. When somebody comes to you and they want to go, hey, have you heard what so-and-so did? What happens is, or what is happening is they are going to try to poison the well. They're going to try to make sure that you think the worst about this individual. What they are doing is they are trying this individual in the court of public opinion, and they want you to be the judge. And if they can, if they can do that enough times, then they will in effect, have this person killed publicly, not literally, but metaphorically. And this person won't have a platform. They won't have any influence or anything like that. Well, how do you deal with something like that? I tell you how I deal with it. I either ignore it. I change the subject or I pull out my phone and I say, I happen to have this person's phone number. Before you go any further, let me call them and put them on speakerphone. But I don't ask their permission as I'm talking. I'm going through my phone. And usually by the time I say the word speakerphone, I've done this three or four times, tells you how much, how many times, how, how often people gossip. But as I say the word speakerphone, typically the phone is ringing. I have found that this is the best weapon to guard yourself against hearing useless gossip from these chirping ankle biters that like to cast dispersions from the sidelines because they're too much of a chicken heart to actually get in the fray and do anything. Remember, I don't care about their booze because I've seen what they cheer. They can go kick rocks. And that's essentially what Jesus was communicating when he bent down and wrote in the dirt. Now, what did he write in the dirt? Well, I'll tell you what I think he wrote in the dirt, but it doesn't really matter. So he bends down and he starts writing in the dirt like he didn't hear him. How would our brotherhood benefit today if we took the same action whenever people come up spreading dissension and gossip and vile stories, even if they're true? You know, one of the worst things in the world you can do to a person is spread news of the mistakes that he's made when he's trying to do right. When he's trying to make it better, the worst thing you can do is spread the news of his mistakes. You need to go read the book of Proverbs and look at how many times that a tail spreader is talked about very, very badly. Well, this seems to unnerve the crowd. Because they kept asking, like they kept pestering him. And I'm, I'm not going to read verse 7, but read verse 7 of chapter 8. Now, Jesus communicated that what they were doing was beneath him. And I think it made them feel it. 
because the next point I have is how about repeating something that works? And then John chapter eight, verse eight. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. All right. So all he did was he said, look, let those of you that are without sin cast the first stone. And then he went right back to writing. So that, that actually gives me another thing. You know, whenever this happens, whenever we catch somebody in a fault, we need to take heed into ourselves. We don't need to treat them as a judge and an executioner. We need to treat them as our brother or sister and try to cover what they've done and let them save face and let them make it right. Now, we may not be able to cover it to where it never comes out, but the very least we can do is we're not going to run around like a stupid tail bearer. So how about repeating something that works? So he, when he bent down the first time, they continued to bother him. He then answered them saying, let he that is that let him that is without sin cast the first stone. So let any one of you who have not done this cast the first stone might be a way to understand what Jesus was telling to him. It might be going back to Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse seven. I'm going to break out my trusty, rusty e-sword and go back to Deuteronomy 17, seven, the hands of the witness, the hands of the witnesses shall be first upon him to put him to death and afterward the hands of all the people. So thou shalt put the evil away from among you. If someone, all right, so at the mouth of two or three witnesses is a, at the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses is a thing established. Shall be he that is worthy of death be put to death. But at the mouth of one witness, he shall not be put to death. All right, so. I got a phone call coming in and it messed me up. I butchered that greatly. The point that I want to make here is Deuteronomy gives the mandate here. The people who were supposed to cast the first stone were, were the people that witnessed the sin. And I think it is, I think it is, and I'm, I'm going to be careful with my words. Don't, don't leave here thinking I'm binding this or I'm speaking as some kind of authority whenever the scripture doesn't give us all the information. Okay. But I think it's possible and reasonable to infer that Jesus is claiming, look, not claiming, but Jesus is saying, look, Deuteronomy, we know that the, the people that witnessed the sin are supposed to cast the first stone. You say this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. How did you know she was committing adultery? One of you was doing it with her. Either that or one of you set her up. This is nasty, folks. But anyway, and incidentally, I think it's very possible that one of the, that what Jesus wrote on the ground was probably Deuteronomy 17, 6 and 7. Anyway. So this convicted them whenever he said, let he that without, let him that is without sin cast the first stone. It convicted them. They knew at this point, the folly of their endeavor. Now the crowd did what foolishness does 
when confronted with wisdom. It just melted away. Listen to, listen to verse 9. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the midst. <laughs> I love it. Incidentally, why do you think, I made this point yesterday. The Holy Spirit doesn't reveal anything to us that is arbitrary. Everything in here is needful. It's profitable for doctrine and correction and instruction in righteousness. What can I? What lesson can I garner from this very uh, peripheral piece of information? Folks, I'm 46. It takes me a whole lot longer to get heated up. But it also, I can cool down in a moment, in, in an instant. Whenever I was 26, instead of 46, I could heat up in an instant, but it took me a whole lot longer to cool down. All right. It is possible that this is one of the things that can be learned from here is whenever you're talking to somebody and things are heated and things are emotional, appeal to the gray beards, appear to appeal to the older folks. And, and try to see if you can get your older folks to see reason. And then it might help you sw hold sway over the younger folks. But anyway, that, again, that is more conjecture. I don't think you can, I don't think you can bind that and, and teach it as the only way to understand this text. So anyway, the law stated that the witness who testified had to throw the stones. Deuteronomy 17, 7. This convicted them. They knew at this point the folly of their endeavor. This crowd did what foolishness does whenever foolishness is confronted with wisdom. It just melted away. So this left us with a very awkward situation. Now, before I go, whenever I need to bring this back to, whenever we catch somebody overtaking in a fault, we need to be the wisdom in amongst all the foolishness. We need to be cool, calm, and collected. We need to be above the fray, as it were. We need to be impartial judges. We don't need to be respecter of persons. We certainly don't need to be involved in the, in the mess. So that being said, this, this, is, this is an awkward situation. Whenever we, whenever we are the wisdom, the representation of wisdom, all the foolishness melts away. And like I said, whenever you call somebody on the phone and says, yeah, I got a brother right here that's trying to tell me some stuff that you've done, and I'm just going to put you on speakerphone here and we're going to talk about it, that brother never sticks around. That brother or sister never sticks around. I've never had it happen. I've had it. I've had They just melt. All right? So you're going to, again, you're going to be left with kind of an awkward situation. Whenever you catch somebody overtaken in a fault, if there's no accusers, if it's something that you can allow them to save face, then you don't need to take up the mantle of, of accusation, okay? And this brings us to this last point. How about an awkward situation? So this woman, she probably looked somewhat disheveled. I mean, I don't think that she was handled very well by the men. You, you, you kind of know how this played out. Well, she was left standing there with Jesus, verse 10. 
Now, one can only assume he continued to write on the ground until all the accusers was gone. That's the way I read the account. Well, Jesus asked the question of his own at this point. Woman, where are those thine accusers? Verse 10. To which she replied, no man accuses me, Lord. They're gone. Well, Jesus said, well, I don't condemn you either. And then he gave her a prescription. Go and sin no more. And she went on her way. Now, it may be the case that you have knowledge of someone who is overtaken in a fault. You need to go to them. Don't broadcast it. Don't pull them before a magistrate and try to make a case that they're guilty. Go help them. Go help them fix it. If, if someone is brought to you and they place you in the position of judge, you need to respond just like Jesus. Just disengage. Show how worthless this is to you. Do things that make them uncomfortable. Be the wisdom in the midst of all the foolishness. There's a video, a short that I shared from a politician here in Canada, and the reporter is being like these scribes and Pharisees. And he's making very veiled and vague accusations. And he's using those vague and veiled talking mannerisms where it's like, well, you know, many people say, and some people say, and I've heard this and like, well, what did you hear? What, who people give me specifics. And of course the guy's just stuttering and the politician just keeps eating his apple. And I really like this politician for Canada. I wouldn't like him very much for the U.S., but he, he, he's, he's orders of magnitude better than Justin Trudeau. Anyway, but, but what's the point? The point is this, simply this. Be the wisdom in that situation. If somebody brings someone to you and says, look at what this person has done, don't feed into that say, yeah, that's pretty bad. They shouldn't have done that. But you know, what are you going to do? We're going to break their thumbs. We're going to, we're going to quote unquote, excommunicate them from the church. They're wounded right now. Why don't we just shoot them instead of bearing their burdens? Remember when you find a brother or sister overtaken in a fault, your main job should be to restore such a one. These people, these scribes and Pharisees didn't want to restore this woman to the good graces of God. They wanted to kill her and thereby have somewhat to accuse Jesus. When someone brings someone to you and they want you to join in in the public trial, they're not concerned with justice. They're not concerned with restoration. They're wanting to metaphorically put that person to death and they want you and your reputation and your character to be sullied so they'll have somewhat to hold against you. Folks, we need to be very careful before we bring people caught in wrongdoing before the church or to the public. Why are we ousting our brother's sins and are we in any condition to bring those sins out and condemn our brother? We need to understand that but for a different set of circumstances there go i 
We need to ever have the mindset of Jesus when it comes to dealing with our brothers and sisters who are overtaken in faults. Brethren, if any man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Does the passage also highlight the importance of not judging others and recognizing our own imperfections before condemning others? I, I would say yes. I mean, it, it, it goes quite well with, um, it goes quite well with, uh, for, uh, with, with Matthew chapter seven, judge not that you be not judged. In fact, let me go over there and read it. I'm going to, I'm going to try to get away now that I've got this new camera. I'm going to try to get away from going to my trusty rusty e-sword all the time because now I can actually see. I think I've got a camera setting messed up. Hold on just a second. I shouldn't care about this, but yep, I do have a camera setting messed up. Now then, y'all can't tell a difference, but I'm not so jumpy. I had I had I had something wasn't jihawing. All right. Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, ye shall be judged, and with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote which is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye. And then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Folks, John 8, 3 through 11 and Matthew 7, there, they cooperate. Here's the deal. We still have a standard. We still need to practice church discipline when it needs to be practiced. But if we have this attitude of Matthew 7, 1 and following and John 8, 3 through 11, if we have the attitude of Jesus and we serve, we are servants of reconciliation, then whenever we come upon one of our brothers and sisters who are wounded, we're not going to shoot them. We are going to administer or minister to them. We're going to serve them. Oh, that's a good. We're not going to shoot them. We're going to serve them. F Discovering that one of our brothers and sisters is in sin is the is the spiritual equivalent of the of the Samaritan finding the the man on the road that had been waylaid by robbers. This man was beaten, he needed help. Maybe the man shouldn't have been traveling alone. Maybe he's culpable in his own demise. We don't know. But that wasn't what was important to the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan just saw someone in need of help. We need to train ourselves. When we see people in sin, they are not, there's nothing personal to us. They are somebody that needs help. Even if their, their spiritual condition, well, it's not if even though their spiritual condition is their own fault. We need to consider them as a victim of Satan that needs help.
I think with that understanding, with understanding that but for a different set of circumstances, that would be me, I think that will help us adopt and practice the mind of Christ. So thank you for that question there, Terry Crooks. Now, you know what I didn't do? Captions. Join the Christianity Now Facebook group. I hope that we can grow this pretty fast. It'd be nice to uh, have a base of viewers, uh, and you can you can share stuff. You can, um, and we, we're going to be careful. If it, if it gets to be a link dump group, then we're gonna we're gonna step in and we're gonna moderate it a little bit more. But as of right now, uh, we're going to be able to share stuff uh, that we find of value, and we're going to try to talk and stuff like that, um, and have discussions. I'm working on some group rules. I'm going to need some admins to help me moderate. Uh, Aaron Dotson and myself cannot do it alone. We're going to need some help. So if you're interested in that, shoot me a private message through uh, Christianity Now Facebook page. Folks, I think we've got the gist of the matter. We need to make sure that we treat people using the golden rule. Be like Jesus. Don't be like the scribes and the Pharisees. Whenever we find somebody overtaken in a fault, I mean, we might catch them in the very act of some sin. Treat them as somebody who has fallen prey to the wiles of Satan and try to help them and don't try to hurt them. Don't, don't, don't try them on the, in the court of public opinion, work with them and help them to save face. Folks, that's all I've got. This has been Tony Brewer with Cogitations. Powered by Christianity Now. We hope you uh, join the Christianity Now Facebook group and be sure and subscribe to Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and TuneIn Radio and consider monetarily supporting the podcast. And those links will be in the show notes. God bless you. This has been Tony Brewer with Christianity Now or, or Cogitations Powered by Christianity Now. And we will catch you on the flip side.